All right, guys. Spooky season is almost over. So, with that said, if 2020 was a Halloween candy, what would it be? Tabitha, let's start with you on this one. 2020 is the proverbial toothbrush of the Halloween candy. (laughs) (laughs) You get home and you empty your bag and you've got like your candy, you're sorting it, and then all of a sudden you come across a 25 cent plastic wrap toothbrush with like a little tooth cartoon saying stay healthy like that's 2020 (laughs) all to to argue that for just a second though yes the toothbrush is something you don't want but it's still something that's good for you yeah but it's always the junk toothbrushes and you're brushing and the bristles fall off in your mouth like it's not like a quality toothbrush like nobody's getting you like a crest or an oral b toothbrush like (laughs) or they bought it from like I don't know, Amazon for 50 for $5 or something. And they just disintegrate in your mouth. Like that's 2020. Okay. 2020 is a toothbrush that disintegrates in your mouth. Okay. You're right. Okay. You're right. Uh, Lydia. You know, I, I, I'm going to have to say that 2020 is black licorice. It, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's gross and bitter and some people like it for some reason. And I don't know why. <laughs> Good, good. Uh, Matt? I, I don't have an answer now, because that was my answer. <laughs> Black licorice are good and plenty. Like, like you think they're going to be good? Like, oh, this, this is going to be bad. Yeah, it's, it's awful. See, I was going to, yeah, I'll, I'll let Mitch say what his is going to be first, and I'll say what my other one was going to be. Well, <laughs> real quick, say what yours, your other one was going to be. Candy corn. Ah. Uh, and I was just about to say, I'm glad that nobody said candy corn because then I wouldn't have to mute you because candy corn is delicious. I don't care who, I don't care, I don't care what you say. That said, for me, if 2020 was like Halloween candy, it would be a popcorn ball and not just any you know popcorn ball that you would buy like in bulk or whatever. No, it'd be a homemade popcorn ball. Because that was definitely a thing that I got like on multiple occasions trick-or-treating. And you know what? I never ate a single one of them. Because I'm sorry, even though like the idea of razor blades in the candy, it's like more of an urban legend than anything. I'm still not eating anything that is homemade from a stranger. Yeah. So I love popcorn balls, but yeah, if I'm eating one from anybody that I don't know, it's going to be one of the like pre-made, packaged, sealed ones exactly. that <laughs> came from. Yeah, but even those are like you could hammer a nail into the wall with those usually. <laughs> True, huh? Tabitha, I hope you're not having any trick or treaters this year. Did I look like I turned my front porch on and voluntarily asked children to come to my door? <laughs> <laughs> I have never once handed out Halloween candy, and I'm not starting at 35 years old. In 2020. Especially in 2020, because it's going to be like the purge or something. Like, (laughs) bad things would happen. I turn off all my lights and pretend like I am not at home on Halloween like any good curmudgeon does. You're listening to The Geek Awakens with Mitch, Matt, Tabitha, Lydia, and Ticket. We are going to start tonight with 
uh, some news that broke yesterday. Um, I don't think any of us are particularly happy about it. Um, Matt, why is Zack Snyder doing too much? He, I don't, because he has $70 million to spend on this stupid reshoots. I don't know. Um, so Hollywood Reporter uh, was reporting, uh, as they do, because that's what they're supposed to do, uh, <laughs> that apparently Jared Leto is going to be back playing the Joker during these Zack Snyder Justice League reshoots. So the thought is that this is going to tie into David Ayer's Suicide Squad in part because, and I didn't realize this, Zach and Deborah Snyder produced that version of Suicide Squad. And it was kind of meant as a jumping off for like more things, like a bigger universe from the Justice League. So yeah, I mean, that awful, ridiculous, not okay version of Jared Leto's The Joker is going to get more screen time. See, I'm not even necessarily mad about that because I know I'm in the minority, but while I didn't necessarily like Jared Leto's version of The Joker, I didn't hate it. That said, I don't understand why why this is happening. Like, it's something we kind of talked about the last time that we talked about the Snyder Cut if it wasn't originally part of his movie, why is he adding to it? It bugs bugs me to no end. It's like, yes, okay, fine. If you want to tell the story that you want to tell, that's fine. You know, something awful happened to you and that caused you to drop out and I get it. And people wanted your version of the Justice League. I understand that. That said, clearly Jared Leto wasn't a part of the original version of Justice League because he's just now coming into it. Yeah. It's like I, someone gave him free reign to do what he wants with this, and he's like, oh, I can have fun and play with this. It doesn't have to necessarily match the original idea I had. I can just do whatever I want. My, my other issue with this is that, like, he's already said that, like, Steppenwolf has gotten a revamp, like, character CGI-wise. Mm-hmm. Darkseid is going to play a larger role. And now you're going to throw Joker into this? Like This isn't a reshoot. This is a different movie. Like why is... why are we doing another Spider-Man movie with too many villains? Like <laughs> truth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. I'm not happy about it. I honestly I don't even think I'm going to watch it. Mm. I mean, I, it's going to take a lot to make me sit down and watch this 4-hour monstrosity yeah yeah it's just i got feelings i got a lot of feelings y'all know my feelings already (laughs) yes they even lost me i know i've said this before they lost me when they said that dick grayson was the murdered robin in snyder's version of justice league yeah don't don't do that to my boy but you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) So something that happened that that could only happen in 2020. So since 2009, uh, Marvel has claimed the title of the highest grossing superhero movie of the year. Uh, But thanks to 2020, that title belongs to none other than Sonic the Hedgehog. That's right. Sonic is this year's highest grossing superhero movie of the year. 
Granted, Marvel Studios did not release a movie this year. They're not going to release a movie this year. So that's part of the reason why Marvel doesn't have this title. Um, Sonic is also the highest growing, grossing video game movie of all time to date. I think it's a little weird. Like, I don't necessarily think of Sonic as a superhero. I was just going to mention that, but I was going to let you finish. <laughs> yeah. He kind of he toes the line, sure. But I don't, I don't see him as a superhero. If they wanted to tout the fact that it was the highest grossing yeah. video game movie, I could see that. But superhero sounds just odd to me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he is included in that only because, like, I don't think we got, well... Wonder Woman still might happen this year, right? Or has that gotten pushed to 2021 officially? I don't know. Maybe? I think they were still debating on that fact the last time I saw anything about it. Okay. So, Wonder Woman aside, I don't think that there are any other superhero movies that have come out this year. No. Yeah. So, maybe that's why Sonic was a de facto superhero because i mean he does check a lot of the superhero boxes he does i'll admit that but yeah at the end of the day i mean like i don't know he doesn't wear a cape he doesn't really have a secret identity you know i mean is running fast really a superpower that's the flash exactly (laughs) i was about to say the same thing (laughs) (laughs) ask the flash ask quicksilver um hell for that matter ask superman that's fair Ask Dash from The Incredibles. Exactly. I stand corrected. (laughs) (laughs) You sit corrected. (laughs) But, you know, and that's it. Like, nobody else has seen Sonic, right? You guys didn't see it? Mm -mm. No. Okay. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It absolutely was. And, you know, that's also been like the last theater or the last movie that I saw in the theaters. Come to think of it. I I don't even know what... Oh, God. Was Cats the last movie I saw in theaters? <laughs> That's depressing. Oh, God. Lydia, you mispronounced fantastic. No. No, I didn't. You're welcome. Oh. I think the last movie I saw in theater was, was Joker. And that was like last November. I'm depressed now. <laughs> oh. It was a fantastic oh. film experience. It was an experience, that's for sure. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, so, uh, before we get to some reviews, I have a couple press releases to talk about. Uh, the first one is from Z2 Comics. Uh, they have announced that True War Stories will be available to comic specialty retailers uh, for local Comic Shop Day 2020, which is Wednesday, November 25th this year. True War Stories was previously funded on Kickstarter and pairs members of the U.S. military with some of the biggest names in comics to tell real stories of war by the people who lived them. All profits of the uh, 1999 retail price will go to military-related charities, uh, Objective Zero Foundation, Air Force Assistance Fund, the USO, Armed Services Arts Partnership, and Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Uh, this sounds amazing. Um, yeah. It's not really typically my cup of tea or, you know, just like, um, like war story movies, things like that. It's not really usually my bag, but like something like this, where it's like, these are not just based on a true story, but these are the true stories. This sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds really cool. 
and especially the you know some of the the proceeds going to the charities yeah <clears throat> Um, from Vault, their young adult imprint, Wonderbound, uh, has announced that they will publish Verse, which is a new, inclusive uh, young adult fantasy graphic novel series. Uh, Verse tells the story of Fife, who lives in a world where magic is feared and only uh, the evil uh, Vel use it. Fife meets Netya, who is a girl with mysterious powers. The two go on an epic journey that will change the course of their society. No release date yet, but you can look for this in the fall of 2021. Uh, finally, um, and this is going to lead to our first review of the night. Mm. So Vault has also announced that Giga number one has sold out at the distributor level uh, one week before it's released. Uh, a second printing with the, uh, quote, Starry Night version of the original number one cover will be released on December 2nd, uh, which is the same day issue two comes out. So speaking of Giga, um, it's going to come out uh, October 28th from Vault. Uh, it is written by Alex uh, Pacnadol with art by John Lay. So Evan Calhoun is a disgraced engineer who finds a, an apparently murdered Giga, which is a, um, a skyscraper-sized mech that fought a bitter centuries-long war. Once the fighting stopped, uh, the dormant Giga became humanity's new habitat and new gods all rolled into one. So um, Evan finds this Giga and his society and the tech-centered religious order that controls it are uh, thrown into chaos. Um, Matt, I know you had a chance to read this. What would you think of it? This one was, this was kind of give and take for me. Um, I mean, I like the idea. I like the... Um, the fact that these gigas basically like ended this, like finished this war and then settled down and now are part of the environment that these people live in. <clears throat> and they actually like live in the gigas. Um, the art was kind of cool, but for me, the story was a little too much all over the place. Um, not quite enough of any one of like, I kind of felt like there were like three kind of like points, like three kind of sub stories almost like that. They're, you know, will end up converging three different perspectives. Um, but I didn't quite get enough information, at least for me on any of them to kind of know like what's happening. Um, I will, I will say though, that that last, the last panel um, <clears throat> kind of leaves you going, well, now what's going to happen. So, I mean, as far as cliffhanger goes, like, I still want to read, I definitely want to read on to know, see if I can get some more backstory and fill in some of the gaps um, and kind of know where this goes. But I don't know. As far as the first issue goes, I, I could have used a little bit more, I don't know if backstory is the right word, just a little bit more explanation for some of the things. Tabitha, <clears throat> what about you? Um, I honestly got more out of what this was about from your description than I did actually reading it. This, like, felt really jumbled to me. And, like, I have a hard time repeating myself 3,000 million times. I have a hard time when they just dump me off in the middle of the world. But I also have a hard time when they dump me off in the middle of the world and give me 30 stories in 30 pages. Like, this just felt like, like there was a time jump and there was 500 different things happening and we were going different places and we were in the woods one second and we were in the middle of a town the next second and like it just it felt really disjointed 
and like I said, I got more out of, I understand what was happening because of what you just said as the description versus actually reading it. So this wasn't for me. I just, the art was really cool. And I liked the idea of the, like the gigas, like living inside of these like beings or whatever, like that was super neat, but like poor execution for me, I guess. Um, I agree with you guys. I, I definitely kind of felt like things were kind of lost and I could have used a little more, I guess not even necessarily explanation, but I could have used like kind of a more jumping on point than what we got. It, it's still interesting. It's a fantastic concept and it's something that I'm definitely interested in pursuing, you know, and seeing where it goes. But at the same time, I feel like this is maybe a story that is better suited like in graphic novel form where you get the entire <clears throat> story all at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of graphic novels and collected editions, uh, out October 28th, also by Vault, is the trade version of Finger Guns. It's the collected series uh, written by Justin Richards with art by Val Halverson. So Wes and Sadie are two teenagers who have the ability to manipulate emotions by firing finger guns. Um, they come across, they find each other, and basically, like, they help each other figure out their powers and also figure out their lives. I feel like this book, and first, first and foremost, thank you guys, because... I had stumbled, like, I remember we read the first issue way back when, when it was announced. <laughs> and then we, we never really came back to it. And I was in St. Louis a few weeks ago, came across a comic book shop because, hi, who am I as a person? And they had all five issues, so I picked them up. And this has been in my to-read pile for a while. And so when we got the trade, I was like, oh, score. Now I, now I can, like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, double dip a little bit. Do something for the it's podcast. 2020, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, really, you should never double dip, regardless of pandemic or no pandemic. You're you're right, Lydia. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but like this, and I'll get to it in a second. I feel like the vast majority of this book, I really, really loved. I mean, yes, it, it's a story of two teenagers figuring out superpowers while also figuring out their lives uh but it's also the story of this girl sadie who you know will do anything for the people that she loves um the the only complaint that i'm gonna have with this book is that i felt like the last issue and especially maybe even like the last half of the issue was really rushed i feel like mm -hmm. this book could have used another issue or if nothing else, like an oversized final issue or something like that. Um, or if this is a continuing story, if we're going to get more of it, uh, I'd be okay with it. I just like, if this is the last that I see of this series, I'm going to be like a little bit bummed because I, I felt like there's a lot more that they could have done. Uh, but overall, I, I loved this book and it's something that I'm probably going to revisit. Uh, Tabitha, what'd you think? Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like I got to the end and I was like, that's it. Like he had already read it. So I looked up and I'm like, wait, that's how it ends. Like, am I getting more? Like, if I'm not getting more, I don't like the end. If I'm getting more that I don't mind the ending. Um, this had like, 
And I remember reading the first issue and thinking, wow, those are some like really heavy themes. Like that's really cool. Like they're not afraid, but like this got like dark and heavy. And I, I will admit that I panicked for a second when they were like gonna like experiment on Chester the dog. <laughs> and, like, I had a day with my dog, so I looked at Matt and he had already read it, and I was like, "Is does this dog die in this graphic novel?" And you just tell me right now because I'm not reading it if it does. Like, no, you're fine. You can you can carry on. I'm like, okay, but um, this just this turned out to be something that like based on that first issue, I didn't think that's where it was going at all. So that was really interesting, but it did really leave me wanting more. Uh, Matt, what about you? Yeah, when I got done with this, pretty much the first thought I had was just, wow. Um, I, like it, like you said, Mitch, and you know, Tabitha, like we, re- we read the first issue, and we knew that there were going to be some dark themes um, that got addressed. Um, but this, this was just done so well handling those tough issues that it just kind of amazed me. Um, and it just like, it was, it was awesome. I got to love the art more and more as we went through. Um, I, I, there were a few moments where I kind of got the, like the anime eye kind of vibe mm-hmm. from the faces. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eh, I could have done without that. Like a little bit more like stylistic eyes instead of like those hyperbolized eyes. Um, you know, if, if I, it's, I figure both of you though, too, like if this is all we get of finger guns, it's, I almost like it a little bit less than if I know that I'm getting more, like if there's more to this, like this ends essentially on a cliffhanger. And if we get more, like we need more, I want more. Um, and I'm going to be sorely disappointed if we don't. Uh, one last thing that I forgot to mention when I was talking about it. Um, guys, am I Mr. Common, the uh, guidance counselor? Also, that was the other thing about <laughs> the guidance counselor. Like, is he, like, does he have something special? Not that you're not special, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. See, I didn't... Because, like, he could move super fast. and like, he, like he disappeared was... at that one yeah, point. Yeah, he like... was like, how do you do that? And I'm like, oh, my God, he's huh. going to be the something cool and then he's just a dude and i'm like oh, okay never mind i didn't i didn't pick up on that but now that you say that yeah like in my head canon yeah there's there's something else there but no just like with the amount of dad jokes that he told and everything like that i was like oh <laughs> that that's me guys mm, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's you <laughs> uh last book that we're going to talk about is uh Agritsuko, stress, uh, stress Management, and this comes out November 4th uh, from Oni Press, written by Michelle Gish, Daniel Barnes, and Sarah Stern, with art by Padabot, DJ Kirkland, and uh, Shada Amin. So we've talked about Agritsuko before. This character is all of our spirit animals, I think we decided on. Um, <laughs> and this volume collects issues four through six of the comic book. And again, same kind of um, situation as last trade. It's three separate stories talking about what happens when Agritsuko breaks her arm, uh, what happens when the office gets real, real cold, and also when the office gets into a sports tournament, Olympic type thing. Tabitha, I want to start with you on this one. What'd you think? 
Um, I love this character and also the little issue about uh, her breaking her arm and then being back at work the next day because her job is like that. I'm like, that would be me. I would be in a full body cast at my desk having to like figure out how to type. Um, she's super relatable. Like you never thought like a little, she's a panda, red right? Panda. Like yeah. you never thought like a little red panda cartoon character who really likes rage singing karaoke would be so relatable but here we are and i guess now that i say that it kind of makes sense for me but that's my life what are you talking about right sing karaoke i just rage do everything else um i i love this like i kind of hope we get more but and i also i know i wanted to after we watched or after we read the last trade that we got but now i really want to watch the show <laughs> like mm -hmm. i feel like it will release some pent-up work tension <laughs> oh yeah the middle story the one about the office being increasingly and increasingly colder uh, my short amount of time spent in an office job like i felt that in my bones like i worked in the summer and i was like shivering like i would finally leave the office building and like the heat of the outside versus the cold of the inside. Like I felt weird for a couple minutes nearly every day after leaving the office. And I was like, yes, that is office life. Like I, <laughs> I didn't realize. I don't even it. notice it anymore. I'm just, <laughs> oh, I'm just perpetually cold. And so I come home and I'm like, ah, oh, this temperate, like it's a very temperate climate. And like, it could be like, I don't even know, like 400 degrees outside. And I'd be like, wow feels pretty good out here because I've been sitting in the tundra all day. <laughs> no, I feel you. Also, you'll be happy to know that we're all sitting around in gloves right now. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but like overall, like this book, when we read the first one, I was a little apprehensive just because it's like, it's based off of, an anime type thing and that's not usually something that I really enjoy but like that first one was phenomenal this one is also like I found myself laughing out loud multiple times uh, and yeah it's I I cute I, I put the uh the Netflix show on my list <laughs> after the first one and now like I need to make it a point to watch it but uh Matt what'd you think I I mean I have to mention the cold office situation that was it yesterday I sent you the gift of me as Jack from the shining. Cause that's how I felt yesterday at work. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was reading this yesterday and this morning. I was like, yeah, that's, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, this might be my favorite thing, like favorite discovery of 2020. Like this is just like Retsuko is one of my new favorite characters it, from beginning to end. It's just, ugh, I want more. I definitely need to watch the show. All right, guys, it's time for gut reaction. Oof, gut reaction. And we're starting tonight. Um, Rage Mitch might come out here in a second. Just letting you know, just warning you. Rage <laughs> Mitch is one of my favorite Mitches. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever fully experienced Rage Mitch. He's come close a couple times. I've like seen especially. you. You see me what? Pretty mad. Yeah. Anyway. So, <laughs> um, so 
Peanuts holiday specials have aired on broadcast TV in one way or another since 1965. That is changing this year because they are streaming. Um, it hasn't officially been said one way or the other, but it's pretty certain that it's uh, streaming exclusively on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Apple it will also produce new holiday specials, including Mother's Day, Earth Day, and New Year's Eve. To Apple's benefit, they are offering um, the classic specials for um, for free to non-subscribers for a certain window. Like uh, Great Pumpkin will be available from October 30th through November 1st. Uh, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving will be from November 25th through the 27th. And Charlie Brown Christmas from December 11th through the 13th. <coughs> Excuse me. Um huge, 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 huge thumbs down to this. Um, that was a tradition for me and my family growing up, like for really all of these holidays to watch these specials and to now have that not even necessarily taken away because like, I know for sure I have at least the Charlie Brown Christmas on DVD. I, I might have the others. I'm not a hundred percent for sure. And I know that there are other ways to watch it. But to have that taken away as an option to be able to watch it on broadcast TV is downright evil from Apple, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this at all, and I will never own an iPhone again. So suck it, Apple. Tabitha. Okay, so I am like one of those weird people that doesn't really care for the Charlie Brown movies because, like wholesome, happy holiday fun is not really my dig. Like, it's just not. So this doesn't affect me. I'm very sad that you're sad. But also, I guess the way I look at it is, if you like it that much, have it on DVD or something. You can't just rely on it to be available for you on TV when you need it. Which is why I own a copy of Nightmare Before Christmas, so I can put my Christmas tree up, because that is my tradition. If it's a tradition, then you should have an accessible way to continue your tradition, even if something is gone. So thumbs down that you're upset, but thumbs sideways because I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm going to say is that it was available for, I can't math, but over 50 years. So Times yeah. are changing, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, where are you at? This wasn't necessarily something that I would seek out and watch, like you know, maybe like you did as a tradition. Um, but you know, if I was flipping channels or whatever, and this was on, um, yeah, I, I would stop and watch any of these Charlie Brown specials. Um, you know, I, I watched them as a kid. You know, I'd watch them now. Um, and the idea that they're not just available around the holidays just seems weird. Um, but I, I, you know, I guess that's the story of 2020, right? You know, that not like you would, nothing like you would expect it to be. Um, but like, I think probably what I'm going to give thumbs down to is the fact that they are only available for a limited window, like two days each, which just seems like a very limited window. Mm -hmm. So now they're available for a limited window for, for free. free. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lydia. Yeah. I, this isn't something that I personally had as a tradition, but I know a lot of people did. And the fact that it was 
on open air for like 65 years and now they're going to be like, oh, well, guess what? Now you have to come get our streaming service if you want to have this and blah, blah, blah. Like it, it feels a little underhanded to do something like that with something that's so beloved. So yeah, that thumbs down for the fact that they're making it so exclusive. Uh, speaking of holiday movies, Matt, let's talk about Die Hard. So my favorite Christmas movie Die Hard. Yes, it's a Christmas movie. Fight me. Um, <laughs> about oh, last week, um, Willis's daughter, Rumor, shared a clip on Twitter of McLean. It was a, very, it was a short clip of him going head-to-head with some henchmen that seemed to have been tracking him. Um, so the internet exploded with rumors. You know, is Die Hard 6 happening? Um, you know, it had been rumored that it was going to happen before the Disney Fox merger. Is this a marketing stunt? Is, you know, is Bruce Willis coming back as John McClane? Like, were we going to get another Die Hard? Like, I would be thrilled if that would happen. Um, but a couple days ago, it came to light that it's not a new movie. It's not even the TV show, which has kind of sort of been rumored. Um, it's a promo for diehard car batteries. <laughs> 2020 <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that just kind of makes me sad and angry and I want to go John McClane on that. Um, so I'm going to go thumbs down on this. Lydia. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're upset, Matt, but... <laughs> I mean, I gotta appreciate the marketing of this. <laughs> like, if you're gonna use something to use as a promo for something else, that was, like, perfect. <laughs> and I personally don't think we need another Die Hard movie, so I, I'm, I'm okay with it just being a commercial <laughs> for car batteries. <laughs> so, thumbs down that Matt's upset, but thumbs up for the good marketing choices. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you, Lydia. Like, this is a really good marketing campaign. Um, Personal feelings aside about Die Hard, uh, it's a good campaign. I'm really surprised they didn't hold off on something like this for the Super Bowl, because this feels like this would be something that they would do for the Super Bowl. Um, But I guess what, the first uh, commercial aired during Game 1 of the World Series? So... Still, you, it's something that you got a lot of people watching, but whatever. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it, also give this a thumb sideways. Um, it seems underhanded, but at the same time, it was kind of funny. Tap them. Yeah, that's a, that's a genius marketing move there. But, like, the piss boys on the internet were so upset. It was great. Um, <laughs> I'm giving this a thumb sideways because whoever decided to do that via the marketing team and, like, everyone's agents and stuff, brilliant. But, like, also rude. (laughs) (laughs) Get my hopes up. Uh, Tabitha, let's talk about Willow. So, I think we talked about this before, how there was supposedly coming, like, we were supposedly getting a uh, sequel to the 1980s movie Willow. Um, And now we actually are getting it. Um, It's coming to Disney+. Plus. They've been given the go-ahead. The original was... uh, 
written and produced by George Lucas and Ron Howard. Ron Howard is resuming a role as executive producer of the show. And Warwick Davis, who originally played Willow, is also coming back. Um, John Chu, of all people, is going to be directing at least the first episode. Um, Willow is one of those, like, classic fantasy 80s movies to me. And I'm a little nervous about how this is going to go. But at the same time, like, Ron Howard is back. I trust John Chu and obviously Warwick Davis. Like, I feel like, like, I just, this can go either really, really good or really, really bad. And I'm kind of, like, on the fence still about whether I'm going to watch it when it comes out because I don't want it to, like, ruin my nostalgia for Willow. But uh, we'll see. But it's scheduled, like, they're supposed to start uh, filming next year. Um, They're also filming in the same location where the movie was originally filmed in Wales. So, like, they're they're throwing it back to, like, some of the, like, really, like, key elements. I'm still going to go some sideways just because I'm, I'm super nervous. Matt. I'm going to go a tentative thumbs up. Um, I, I was going to go thumbs down on this just because I felt like this was one of those things that we don't need a continuation of. But with Ron Howard being back and Warwick Davis being a part of it, I don't feel like those two would put their name on a Willow product unless they actually thought that it was something worth doing. Um, so I'm still kind of iffy, but because of their attachment to it, I, I will go thumbs up. Lydia. I have not seen Willow in a very long time, but I remember loving it when I was younger and, and saw it then. I'm kind of excited for this, knowing that, uh, Howard and Warwick Davis are going to be attached to this, but I'm still wary of yet another, like, kind of reboot redo type thing with anything of this nature. So I'm going to go thumb sideways just because I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I have never seen Willow. so Can we I... just own him yet, please? So... I've been trying for years. <laughs> so I am going to whip my thumb back and forth and go thumb sideways. Lydia Bell. <laughs> Thank you. Go away. I remember too. I might leave that. Uh, are you Are you hiding me? Yes. <laughs> if I remember too, I might try to leave that pause in just so that everybody can hear just all the disdain for that. <laughs> you should. Uh, Lydia, let's talk about Chippendale Rescue Rangers, not not the dancers. No. Yes. <laughs> So one more thing to add to the list of things that we do not need is a live action Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie. It's going to be half animated and half live action. It is going to be directed by Akiva Schaefer and produced by Todd Lieberman and David Hoberman. The thing, like... I'm already wary of the fact that they're trying to make another hybrid live action movie for this thing, but they said it's described as a hybrid movie as meta and something self-referential and cool. What does that mean? What are you trying to do? Because it's said to not be an origin tale and not be a detective agency story. They are a detective agency. What are you talking about? You already have me upset 
that you're going after Lilo and Stitch with this live action bull crap that you're pulling right now. Leave the Rescue Rangers alone. I don't care that there's rumors that the original voice cast is coming back to voice their CGI selves. They need to stop. Thumbs down. I'm giving this a thumb sideways. <clears throat> Chippendale Rescue Rangers was my jam as a kid. It might have been even like even before Ninja Turtles, it might have been my first like favorite thing. So I'm a little weary. At the same time, the director, he's also in uh, Lonely Island. So at least there, I know that he's got some humor, you know, uh, attached to him. If it's something that's on, if it shows up on Disney Plus in, instead of like the theaters, I will Which probably I check it, it out. Yeah. I don't think that I would pay money to see it in a theater, but I would probably check it out on Disney Plus. So thumb sideways. Tabitha. <clears throat> like your description of this made it sound like they're trying to make it like super, like almost hipster, like a hipster version of mm-hmm. Jim Rescue Rangers. Like, I don't, I don't think we need this. This is definitely on my list of things we don't need. I'm going to go thumbs down. Okay. I'm not a fan of most of these CGI hybrid reboot disasters that we already have. This is definitely another one that we don't need. Um, I I don't know what else to say. Thumbs down. Matt, let's talk Army of the Dead. Um, So if you haven't had enough Zack Snyder yet, (laughs) we've got more. Okay. Um, I've had enough of him, but anyway. Um, Zack <laughs> Snyder has um, a Netflix movie coming out in 2021 called Army of the Dead. Um, it wrapped last October. It's currently in post-production. Um, it is described as a zombie heist flick. Um, and Netflix, I guess, gave him complete creative freedom, unlike Warner Brothers. So, um, that scares me a little, um, especially based on reshoots. Um, but that's coming. And if that's not enough, um, Matthias Schweighofer, who is a character in Snyder's film, um, is announced that there is a prequel to this not yet finished film, um, in development. Yeah, I there's so many things about this that are just I I'm 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 confused. Like zombie heist, why are you doing a you like uh, aren't have, aren't we over zombies yet? Are 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 they not? Are, they, are we not done with them? <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, they just won't die. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, this can get shot in the head. Thumbs down, Lydia. Yeah, you you say you're confused. I think Zack Snyder's confused. Like, <laughs> dude, why why are you trying to do so much? Just just don't let yeah. let the zombies die. <laughs> and yeah, thumbs down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nah, brah. Thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't need more Zack Snyder in this episode, let alone in my actual life. So thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, where to go? Here we go. All right. So, Michael B. Jordan. I'm sorry, Michael Bay Jordan. Uh, Thank is, you. <laughs> is I would have corrected you. 
<laughs> uh, is teaming with longtime Static Shock writer Reginald Hudlin uh, to produce a Static Shock movie. Uh, Jordan said, quote, I'm proud to be part of building a new universe uh, centered around black superheroes, uh, suggesting that this may be the start of a cinematic universe. Um, I'm down for it. Uh, thumbs up. I My knowledge on Static Shock is limited. I know that he was um, a pretty popular character. He had his own cartoon on WB, maybe? WB, CW, UPN, one of those. Because Whoa. They- <laughs> Flashback. UPN? Yeah. Yeah. Because wow. what? UPN and WB merged to create the CW, right? Yeah, I think so. I've, yeah. So anyway. So yeah. So it was on one of those shows or one of those channels. Um, something like this, along with the fact that they're bringing back Static Shock to the comics next year. I'm excited for it. So thumbs up. Tabitha. Uh, it's Michael Bay Jordan. Always thumbs up. He could do nothing that would ever get him a thumbs down. <laughs> Matt. Um, this is awesome. This sounds cool. I don't know basically anything about Static Shock. Um, but, you know, if you're going to do something like this and put somebody like him as part of this project, absolutely. Thumbs up. Lydia. There's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said, so thumbs up. Uh, Tabitha, let's talk about a Grease update. So this is like literally the briefest of news, but we are getting a Grease television series that is thankfully not a reboot and not a remake and not a Grease 2, even though that one's fantastic. I don't care what anybody says. Um, This Grease television series is actually going to focus on the origin story of the Pink Ladies. So we're going a little bit further back in history. So we're going to get some, you know, like it's going to literally be a period piece. I'm pretty excited. Um, it's going to be called P- Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, and is going to be written, directed, and executive produced by Annabelle Oaks. It is going to be an hour-long musical series that looks at the group and how they began and how they changed right L high. And while I was real salty about the Grease remake that they came out with, I kind of want to watch this. Like, this feels like my jam. Um, and also, I'm all for more musicals on TV, so thumbs up. Matt. Um, I'm excited that she's excited, so thumbs up. <laughs> Lydia. <laughs> I was really, really not excited about this when you said Grease, like, series. And then you said all that about the Pink Ladies, and now I'm kind of intrigued. I don't know if I would say I'm excited, but I might watch it, so thumb sideways. Yeah, I'm not for sure that this is the one that I want, so thumb sideways. Wow. Uh, Please, Tabitha, <laughs> help me. Lydia Bell. Thank you. You're welcome. Matt, what's V.E. Schwab doing? She is doing everything. Um, she has announced so much news in the last three weeks that it's just insane. Um, and she's even said that, like, Everything that she's announced recently has stuff that's been in the works for a very long time. Um, But probably some of her biggest news after release of a book and a movie going into production or movie script that she wrote, um, a new short story that is called First Kill from an anthology entitled Vampires Never Get Old has been greenlit by Netflix for an eight-episode series. Um, 
She describes the story as a YA lesbian vampire story. Um, it's a teenage vampire who's about to take her first victim, only things go sideways. Um, uh, Schwab is acting as executive producer and a writer. Uh, Felicia D. Henderson, who has worked on Gossip Girl, Fringe, and The Punisher, is going to be serving also as a producer and as showrunner. Um, I follow Victoria Schwab on like all the social medias. She's super pumped about this. Um, they've got a writer's room going. They've got like producers in line. They're working on getting directors. Um, they're going to start casting. Um, I have not read this story yet, but I, I don't know. I pretty much love everything that she does. So huge thumbs up on this. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to hurt Matt and Tabitha's feelings because I don't have a clue who she is. But <laughs> I'm excited that you're excited. So thumbs up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go thumbs sideways for right now. I trust you, Matt. And I'm assuming, Tabitha, you're going to be kind of in the same boat. Um, I don't know that this is something that would personally be for me. But it sounds like it could be, it, it could take off. And I think I'm going to reserve judgment for when we see more info. Tabitha. With the exception of her newest book, both of us have read everything she's ever written. And no matter what platform she's working with, she does an absolutely fantastic job, whether it's like middle grade, YA, adult, fantasy, mystery, it's she's an incredible writer. She's an incredible person. Like, I don't feel like this could go anywhere, but up and be just fantastic. So I'm giving this a thumbs up. <sighs> um, are we boring you? No, I'm just tired. <laughs> excuses, excuses. <laughs> uh, so the last story for gut reaction tonight, uh, we have a synopsis for space jam two. Um, I am just, Reading straight off of what was uh, shared on Twitter by Final Space writer Ben Meckler. It says, quote, during a trip to the Warner Brothers studio, NBA superstar LeBron James and his son accidentally get trapped within a world that contains all of Warner Brothers stories and characters under the control of a malfunctioning, all-powerful force named Al G, played by Don Cheadle. With the help of Bugs Bunny, LeBron must navigate through a never-before-imagined world filled with iconic movie scenes and characters as they reassemble the Looney Tunes to rescue his lost son. Now to get back home, LeBron and the Tunes have to unravel Al G's uh, mysterious plan and win an epic uh, basketball game against digital gamified super versions of the NBA and WNBA's biggest stars at the, as the entire world watches. I have been kind of excited about Space Jam 2 for a while. Um, wearily excited, but still excited. Uh, that said, this synopsis is a huge turnoff for me. Um, I'm not for sure that I'm willing to go complete thumbs down because I know who I am as a person and will probably, for nostalgia's sake, still watch this in the theaters. Uh, <laughs> but... It's it's a thumbs three quarters down, Tabitha. If I had more thumbs to turn down, I would turn them down. I hate <clears throat> watching LeBron James play basketball in a real game. I don't want to watch LeBron James play basketball in a fake game. So thumbs down. He's a good person, but he's a shitty human. At the same time, so thumbs down. I'm not giving LeBron any more money than LeBron already has for no reason. Matt. 
the only redeeming quality this has is Don Cheadle. <laughs> and that's not enough to save this at all. Thumbs down. Lydia. I'm pretty sure we talked about this a while back and I think I said then I don't need a Space Jam 2, especially with LeBron James. That ha- that has not changed, especially with this... I, I don't even know how to describe the synopsis you just gave us. I don't need it. Thumbs down. <laughs> All right. So, are you guys cool with going over? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, Tabitha, um, you warned us that you have a lot of feelings about this next story. Um, let's talk about HBO Pride. Yes. So, oddly enough, my feelings are good. Usually when I have a lot of feelings, they're all negative feelings. Okay, because see, that's where I thought we were going with this. Yeah. No, it's not. I actually don't have negative feelings. This is something I actually have good thumbs-uppy feelings about if we were still wow. like I know, right? Um, so, I normally hate... This is why I have a lot to say about this. I normally hate retellings of classic literature. Um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies... Uh, whatever that thing was they tried to do with Little Women, uh, those Shakespeare books that are told in, like, memes and text code. Like, I hate that stuff. Like, if you're not smart enough to appreciate the original, you're not smart enough to enjoy anything. Go away. Um, Be smarter. Um, But a couple of months ago, I was reading, I took a month, and I read... All the books I read in the month were by black authors. And I came, I was looking for an audiobook and I came across Pride by Ibizobis or Ibizobi. And I was like, okay, what, like the cover doesn't make it look like a Pride and Prejudice retelling. So I opened it and I kind of like read it. I read the synopsis and I was like, that sounds like a Pride and Prejudice retelling. But it was a fairly short audiobook and I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And I listened to it at work and I loved it. Like, obviously, I didn't love it more than Pride and Prejudice, but, like, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Like, it is Pride and Prejudice told from the perspective of two Black teenagers who are growing up in a, up, like, an up-and-coming neighborhood. The guy, the male character moves in, and the female character's been in this neighborhood, like, her entire life. And he moves in with, like, the wealthy, you know, gentrification that's happening in her neighborhood, and it's their friendship and their life and their relationship that builds. And it's like a story that's told in like characters um, all around her. So like the pride and prejudice part of it is there. And like, you see it like at the parties and things like that. And like, especially if you're super familiar with pride and prejudice, but like like someone who had never read pride and prejudice would have no idea. This is a pride and prejudice retelling. Anyway, when I was reading this, I like started thinking about like more things that could be done this way and taking like you know like super white stories like pride and prejudice and making them diverse like this didn't only have black characters like it had you know lgbtq characters and all it it was just super fantastic anyway we found out that hbo has bought the rights and are going to be developing an adaptation of pride for hbo so it is a haitian and dominican coming of age story um, that's going to be produced and uh, written by people who have worked on like things like Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars, which is making me nervous. But like this, I think is what we need. Like we don't need more Pride and Prejudice retelling movies because we have the perfect one, the Cure Nightly two thousand five or two thousand yes two thousand five version is is it. We don't need any more. But they're taking these stories 
that are like loosely based on these classics. So you're not only getting like exposure to a classic piece of literature, but you're also getting exposure to like a super diverse story. And this is fantastic. Like we don't have any release dates or anything. And like, I don't have HBO because I refuse to give HBO $15 a month, but this is something that almost like might push me over the edge of getting HBO. Like this is what we need. We need TV companies and Netflix and stuff to pick stuff like this up. And I'm just, I want more of this. I want her to write more retellings. I want more t TV production places to pick them up. And I'm just, I'm super excited. And I never get excited about TV because I hate TV. So that's saying something. But yeah, my lots of things to say were not negative. So you're all welcome. <laughs> this was, this was a good day for us then. I know. Yeah. It's I didn't a 2020 run. miracle. <laughs> <laughs> it really True. is. It's like the least grumpy thing I've ever said. <laughs> uh, but no, that sounds, that sounds really cool. And mm -hmm. yeah, something that I might want to check out before HBO releases that. Yeah. And like the book is fairly short. Like you can pick it up. Like I highly recommend the audiobook. I think it did a like a terrific job. Like, this is what we need. Go read it. So season three of Star Trek Discovery uh, has recently come out. Um, <clears throat> and the third season wrapped so close to the COVID-19 lockdown that the entire post-production took place remotely. Uh, edits, uh, score, mixing, they all took place via Zoom. Uh, composer Jeff Russo sent mics to each orchestra member's homes, and actors who needed pickups uh, were given motion capture equipment to finish their performance at home. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, also, even though what season one just or episode one just premiered last week, season four is going to start shooting November 2nd. Um, the cast is already in uh, Toronto in quarantine. Um, but they're also, they got there um, early and they're, you know, like all COVID-19 precautions are being taken, you know, are, are going to happen. Um, but yeah, but like, this is just amazing. And it's, I, if I'm not mistaken, one of, if not like the first show that the post-production was just all done remotely. That's insane. And it also says something about the technology and the world that we live in where that can be a thing. Mm -hmm. Also, can you imagine like the pressure that those, like that's a lot of pressure for those actors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And All majorly impressive. <laughs> right. And also like, I'm kind of glad that this happened with a show like Star Trek as opposed to, Oh, let's say Brooklyn nine, nine. Nothing to take away from that show, but like, come on. You know, this is like the most science fiction thing to happen to TV that's not directly a science fiction show. This is phenomenal. It's true. <laughs> true. So, uh, a couple of spooky stories before we get to our last story. Um, Matt, you've got uh, something we have definitively the scariest movie ever. Um, so, yes and no. I mean, we do. Um, Broadband Choices recently held a study um, to find the scariest movie of all time. Um, when all was said and done after their study, um, the winner 
is Sinister. Um, coming in close um, at the top was Hereditary and Insidious. Um, a lot of recent movies. Um, the top 10 movies are all from the last 15 years. There are a few classics that made it into the list um, in the top 30. But even The Shining is number 33 on this list. That's because that movie's scary. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> what they did was they picked um, 50 movies and 50 people of different ages and monitored their heart rates during the watching of the films. Um, Insidious, or not Insidious, but uh, uh, Sinister had the highest jump from like resting heart rate to peak heart rate during the film. Um, so that essentially was like how they determined the average heart rate during um, Sinister, which was the winner. Um, the resting heart rate was 65 beats per minute. Um, the Their heart rate during the movie was 86, and the highest spike was 131. So it was a difference of thirty. So it was a difference of thirty-two. Um, Insidious had the highest spike in heart rate, um, going up to one hundred and thirty-three, um, and they kind of based that on the jump scares. So Insidious mm-hmm. had one thirty-three, Sinister had one thirty-one, The Exorcist three had one hundred and thirty, The Conjuring one twenty-nine, The Descent one twenty-two. Um, so they you know, like you know the highest spikes for some of these. You know you got. Blair Witch comes in at number 23. Alien is 24. Um, Friday the 13th is number 28. The Shining is 33. Get Out is number 34. Um, But there was another article that I found actually today, which kind of disputes this uh, whole study because their argument is that, um, that not all scary movies rely on heart rate and jump scares, although some of them do. Um, so, you know, uh, they've got, they've got, they've kind of got a point. Um, take it for what you will, but at least, uh, based on, uh, broadband choices, the scariest movie of all time is Sinister. I just don't think you can quantify that because like different things freak different people out in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like you can put like seven monster movies on the TV and like, I'll never get scared. Not even for five seconds, but you give me like an, are you afraid of the dark episode with a ghost? And I'm probably going to be under a blanket. Like I just like <laughs> different things scare different people. Like that list that you named, like sinister freaked me out, but like, it didn't like, you know, However, dead silence with the stupid puppet made me literally pee my pants. So, like, there's, like, different things scare different people. And then you said The Shining. I can't watch The Shining with a straight face. Like, it makes me laugh, like, the entire way through. But I think it's just because I have to look at Shelly Duvall. But, like, <laughs> it's just, like, different things scare different people. Yeah, and, like, I... my the scariest movie I've ever seen is a movie, like, very few people have even heard of. And when I watch it, like, I have to, like, spend, like, hours calming myself down. 
and we recently watched it and it's not even that scary session nine. Oh, session nine and like we recently watched it and like, i understand that it's not scary but it messes with me to the point where i'm like i need a whole moment after i get done watching that like i need to watch like six hours of spongebob before i can go to bed <laughs> yeah yes, i think I a mean, lot like, of that is sorry go ahead no go ahead yeah i say i think a lot of that is definitely a matter of opinion because like you said different things scare different people and like my thing with watching scary movies because a lot of them are super gory and things <laughs> it's the thing that bugs me the most about it is like i get really empathetic to some of the things that get done <laughs> and it's not even like the things that you would think like oh that dude just got his leg chopped off oh well Oh God, his fingernails just came off his hand. No, nope, uh, I'm done. Like, <laughs> like it's it's different things like that. So I don't. Yeah, the heart rate thing is kind of a good judge for some things, but it's not the end all be all be all of this is the scariest thing ever. I just don't think you can quantify that because, like, I know I know there are people in the world that literally can't watch The Shining because it scares them so badly that like they cower. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there chuckling through the entire thing. Like, I just don't think you can quantify scariest movie of all time based on people's heart rates. Because, like, if they had my heart rate on for Sinister, like, the jump scares don't scare me anymore because I've seen it a couple times. I'm just like, man, whatever. I see the lawnmower coming. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we should watch a few of these scary movies in the James Joyce house. Oh my god, maybe not. Okay. (laughs) So, I kind of forgot I was talking about this, honestly. So, I am very anti-taking any kind of historical building and turning it into anything but, like, a museum because we should not destroy things. No, write that down somewhere. We should not destroy historical monuments. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's so weird. Uh, Especially literary ones in Ireland who belong to James Joyce. So James Joyce's book, um, or it's a short story actually, uh, The Dead is not a scary thing really, but it is, it's based in this house that is 15 Ushers Island in Dublin. And it is this beautiful historic inn and it's been held for years by a trust and now suddenly the city, the, like, the city of Dublin has now purchased the property and they're going to make it into a youth hostel. Oh. Yeah. Fun. It's totally fine. Um, and they're basically not like, they're not using anything about it to make it like, to use like the historical elements of it in the hostel. They're basically going to come in, gut it and make it look like every other hostel in Dublin. Um, there's a laundry list of authors and museum people that you guys wouldn't know who I was talking about if I tried that have, you know, rallied against it. Ian McEwen, uh, Salman Rushdie, like people are like, you, you should stop doing this, stop tearing down and changing monuments. And like, it is the, like, we are having a pandemic, you know, who's traveling right now, especially in Europe, nobody, because they ain't stupid like Americans. So (laughs) Dublin does not need, their 54th hostel. This is going to be only one of places, one of five places that James Joyce lived in his entire life, especially one he based an entire story off of. And like, you're killing like a a whole building to make a hostel. (laughs) Thanks, Lydia. Good job, Lydia. (laughs) But yeah, like I just, I don't, I don't understand. Don't destroy historical buildings. Like, 
if you want to change them and make them into something different, make it a museum, make it an inn where people can stay and embrace literature. Don't turn it into a, you know, $15 and I youth hostel where someone's probably going to get murdered. Like that's not fine, but I don't know. So it makes me mad. <laughs> so the last story of tonight, uh, I saw this on Reddit last week and I giggled like the immature man child that I am. <laughs> so the Society of Vertebrate uh, Paleontology held its annual meeting remotely this year because hi, 2020. Uh, <laughs> at the end of presentations, attendees could submit written questions, but thanks to a profanity filter, words like bone, sexual, and even hell uh, were forbidden. They were replaced with asterisks. Um, immediate action was taken by the organizers of the event uh, to rectify the situation. And also, like any good nerd, a spreadsheet was created uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that organizers, organizers could keep up to date on the not-so-naughty words. Um, other words that were censored by the... Uh, by the filter included knob, pubis, penetrate, and stream. <laughs> it's like, like the, like, is it the most religious, like, church mom ever secretly behind the filter for this thing? What's going on? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> you would have to assume that somewhere, somewhere along the line, like, somebody would at least glance at the words that were, you know, quote unquote forbidden or whatever, and then be like, Hey, um, that one's actually okay. I mean, you'd think for this kind of conference that especially the word bone would be necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And like, why are you using the word penetrate at this conference? There's never a good reason to use the word penetrate. Radar. Cause paleontologists. Underground. You can say something other than penetrate. <laughs> <laughs> But um, when I was reading about this, and I don't remember the exact, I, I don't remember why it's a thing, but like, you know, you, going back to the word hell being censored, um, there's a place called Hell's Creek, and I don't really know why it's significant to paleontology. Dinosaurs. What's that? They found a bunch of dinosaurs there. It's in uh, one of the Dakotas, I think. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So, <laughs> I think South Dakota. I think. South Dakota, yeah. It's one of the Dakotas. I don't know which one. Uh, Fanning? No. no. It's not It's not in Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an L Fanning either before you try to go there. No. But, it has um, nothing to do with anyone named Dakota. Just the state. <laughs> but anyway, so somebody started using the term Hex Creek instead of Hell's <laughs> Creek to get around <laughs> I I laughed so hard when I saw this and it's just <laughs> it's phenomenal. And I really do think that my favorite part about this was that somebody made a spreadsheet. I mean that's fantastic. You gotta keep yourself organized somehow. I mean clearly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you're nerdy enough that you're digging up dinosaur bones, you're nerdy enough to make a spreadsheet about the words that are censored through a filter <laughs> for your paleontology yeah. thing. Yeah, you're right. 
You read. I am that kind of nerd. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. Uh, We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we'll be keeping up with uh, geek happenings throughout the week. And be sure to let us know about any cool things that we're missing out on. Uh, Any questions, comments, or concerns, then shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you next time. Everybody, say bye. Bye. Bye.